0: You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast. Our guest today is Bill Gertine. Bill's the leader of the Seven Voices Movement, whose purpose is to hear, recognize, and minimize the effects of negative voices in our heads. He is also a sales coach whose training programs are in use by over 100 professional U.S. sports teams, also in Canada and Mexico. Stay tuned, you're gonna love hearing what Bill has to say about paying the price of leadership. Welcome everybody, this is Dr. Tracy Jones and thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders from all over the world on what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And I am tremendously excited that my guest today is Bill Gertine. And Bill is the leader of the Seven Voices Movement, whose purpose is to hear, recognize, and minimize the effects of the negative voices inside people's heads and to implement simple strategies to make positivity a life choice every day. Mm -hmm. He's gonna fit well with us. He understands the pressure leaders at every level are facing, especially those in sales and marketing, whose lives are in the midst of uncertainty and bring simple strategies and tactics to improve their results. His sales training programs are in use in the ticket sales departments of over 100 professional sports teams throughout the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and he serves as the Chief Learning Officer of ISBI 360, which is a virtual training network specifically for executives in sports and entertainment. Bill, we are so excited to have you on our podcast today.
1: Tracy, I couldn't be more excited to be here, and gosh, my bio sounded way too long. So thank you for doing
0: that. I know. I love that that your background, because I like to give the context for our listeners of what field are they? Educational leaders? Are they military leaders? And so you got that sales flavor in a particular industry. So I mean, I think context is very important for leaders, because I've worked in a lot of different industries, and that helps me understand it. So thank you, Bill. My pleasure. For our listeners, Bill and I connected through the C-Suite Network, and you guys have heard a lot about me talking about that a couple months ago. I joined this tremendous peer-to-peer group and have just had a phenomenal time meeting wonderful people, and Bill is absolutely one of them. So Bill, we're going to talk because you love talking about hearing uh, the pressures that leaders are facing, and especially you're dealing with clients and customers that are in an industry that has really been hit hard by what's been going on with all the crises and the pandemic and uncertainty in the world. And my father was quite passionate about leadership, and he wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership many, many decades ago. And he unpacks the four things that leaders have to pay if they truly are going to be called leaders. And so I want to unpack each one of those with you today and get your input on how you've seen the price of leadership played out in your life. Are you ready? I am ready. Excellent. Well, the first thing that my father talked about was loneliness. And we've all heard that statement you know, it's lonely at the top. But can you tell me, Bill, what loneliness meant for you at different times in your life? And maybe for our listeners out there that might be in a season of loneliness, maybe some input as far as how you combat loneliness.
1: I've blazed a trail several different times, as most entrepreneurs do. But I think the time I have felt the loneliest has really been over the last six months. Within the sports industry, we have seen an entire layer of leadership have to do something else. Mm. They had to move on and many of them with dozens of years of experience within the industry because there is no money left to be able to afford them because we can no longer have people in stands most often they yes. had to go on to do something else. There has never been a time maybe in sports or otherwise where it has been more difficult to be a leader than it is to be a subordinate in today's world. You don't know what to do next. And so as we've gone as leaders and and people have had to to answer the questions, well, what should we do now, boss? Well, what's next, boss? And there's no answers. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is many of the people that I've come to know and respect in this industry have had to either been laid off, furloughed, or have to find some other industry in which to go. And so I find myself on this island currently with a lot of my other peers that is simply waiting, waiting Mm -hmm. for some sort of sign to where we'll move. I feel as though my career has almost been hit press pause. I know fans will be back soon. My work is involving lots of sports teams, and many of them would love to have me back and working with them, but it's just not possible right now. So, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, I think you have to accept the fact that on occasion, you're going to have times like this, that you're mm-hmm. going to have bouts of loneliness, that you will have to make a choice as to whether or not to pursue or persevere what you're in or to pursue something else. And, and I am literally in that crevice right now. I love
0: that. I love your transparency and sharing that. And you know what? That is a new take on loneliness I have not heard before. It reminds me when I was in the military and we'd have the closures, the bracks, the base realignment and closures. And maybe you were one of the ones that left in the beginning, but somebody was always left at the very end to be the one to lock the gates and turn the lights off and as the base would get more and more vacant, I can remember it. You brought back some feelings that it was very sad. The jets would fly off and everybody would move and who was left, you know, turning off the lights. So thank you for your transparency of that. A lot of times there is feast or famine and there's no loneliness when there's a feast, but a lot of times you physically are left. So how are you really, um, when you said you have to figure out, you know, if you're going to with the purpose or stay, what's going through your thought process on this? Reinvent yourself or, or stay or I'm like you, I think it's coming back, but to unpack for me how you're processing that right now as a leader.
1: Well, like everybody else and like everyone else, you had to start somewhere in a career. And I really had an entrepreneurial bent when I first started. I had a a business in college printing t-shirts for all of my intramural sports teams. And I went on as a mobile DJ when we used to have vinyl records and I did weddings. and, And so I was not averse to hard work. And so I found ways in which to apply the skills that I had in fun ways, creative ways that allowed me to earn some money on the side. And so I really thought sales was where to be. I started in radio at 16. I was one of the youngest licensed radio broadcasters in the state of Illinois at that time, when you actually had to have a license to be on the air. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing morning drive at 18, which is really unheard of today. And so that was gonna be my destiny. I was gonna be the next top 40 DJ in the city of Chicago. Uh And then at 21, I figured out where the money was, and it wasn't on the air. Mm -hmm. Not for me anyway. It was in the sales department. And so that's where my world went. And so for a good 20, 25 years, I spent honing my skills as a radio account representative and then a sales manager and then a actually general manager of a station and then a part owner of a station for a time. And then I saw the iPod. And when I saw you could put a thousand songs in your pocket. I wondered how in the world will local radio survive, and so I looked to reinvent myself at that time, and I looked at all those things that I hadn't been able to do just yet, and I I got involved in radio. I did my own commercials. I was kind of a jack of all trades in that, and so I thought, well, all these skills will never ever transfer anywhere else, and I'm sure that's where a lot of people are feeling right now. They have this skill set that they don't think will transfer to other industries, and what I found was is that it actually prepares you Mm -hmm. for other industries that you don't know yet. And so what I found was, is that I had this bent to be a public speaker. That's what I really wanted. And I suppose I was doing that on the radio and in my mm-hmm. DJ days, but you know, there wasn't the same. So I was wanting to do public seminars and I wanted to be an author, a published author. And I thought, wow, it would be really cool to work in sports too. And so I had all these things kind of jumbling around for a few years. And and I got the opportunity to do a 3 session seminar for a local bank on a customer service program that they wanted to train. And so that was my first opportunity. And about six months later, I went back to the bank president and said, boy, I'd really like to do this some more because this was really fun. And he looked at me and said, Bill, I can't believe you're telling me this as I thought you'd never asked. This is your this is what you were meant to do. And said, so you can do that wherever you want, but you can't do any other banks for a year because I want to have the competitive advantage with us and you, oh. which was not a problem. And so literally what ended up happening is I started into this entirely new career, somewhat blind, but still with one foot firmly in the radio industry. So I was able to kind of combine them. So I, my wife would say I burned the candle at both ends for mm-hmm. a good number of years until I had the opportunity to have someone from the Chicago White Sox see me at a customer service seminar. They walked up to me and he's a very, very good friend today. And he said, man, you've got some really good energy. You know, There are people that go around the country training ticket sales departments. I'll bet you'd be really good at that. And for me, it was like, I have no idea. And so once again, it was this transition into something I didn't know I was preparing myself for, but it opened up to me. And so all of a sudden, that was my new genre. That's where I was going. Mm -hmm. And so it was several months later of repeatedly calling this guy, that I finally got in touch with him and it wasn't the White Sox that I first went to work for It was actually the Chicago Bulls Uh who actually share an owner, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf owns both of those clubs. And so the two teams talk often about resources and about what's out there and that sort of thing. So I, I was graced to have my first opportunity in ticket sales training Mm -hmm. with maybe one of the top organizations in all of sports Mm -hmm. and nervous. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. My knees were knocking, and I came up to the door, and there was, you know, I got it was pretty good about getting it all ready. They had given me some materials. I was going to use some of the stuff that I had used in radio training my sales reps. I was Uh very confident it was going to work really well. But as you're driving into a place like the Bulls Stadium, the United Center, you start to begin to doubt yourself a little. Yes. Wow. And I park my car, and I walk up, and before I go in, here's the Jordan statue which is this iconic thing that most people have seen either on television or in person. And you think, wow, how am I going to measure up? There's a phrase that's being used right now fairly often. It's called imposter syndrome, uh-huh. where people feel as though they're really not qualified to do what they're about to do, but they're going to do it anyway.
0: Interesting. Right.
1: And so I began to feel that and I just I just took this deep breath and said, oh, you can do this, you can do this, you're qualified, you're prepared, you know this stuff. So they were great, I got into the building, got into the room, and then I noticed the window and I, I got my materials all ready and I looked into that window and I didn't really know where I was in the building, but come to find out I'm on the third floor in this gorgeous room for training and I'm overlooking that same Jordan statue. So it was one of those iconic moments. I think all of us have had this in their career where they think, holy crap, I've arrived. That's and followed so cool. by this wave of them about to puke because people are about to come in <laughs> in three minutes. And I say that because I think from being really nervous comes a place of excellence mm-hmm. that if you're not nervous, you ought to be really almost worried I love it. <laughs> because you may be too callous or too casual about or what you're doing. S- yeah. Yeah. Too proud. Yeah. Right. Wow. So there's a good nervous that comes in. And so fortunately I got through day one. That was cool. I had two more days. I got through it and I'm very, very fortunate that it is my longest-running client. It'll be in 18 years my uh, that I've been each year training with the Bulls organization when their I new staff that. that comes aboard. And so that was what launched my career that very first time. And now I've been, as you said in my intro, with over 100 different teams, and having no idea if I was going to be in sports or not, not having known the connection, but being open to opportunity when open. It,
0: Well, that's the thing I was just going to say, because you were always open. And I love that you even tied loneliness to the imposter syndrome. You think that you are alone, that everybody else deserves to be there except for you. And I love that point you made about how skills transfer. I mean, when I left the military after working on fighter jets and got in the civilian sector, I'm like, well, who's got private fighter jets that I can fix? How am I going to be marketable? Excuse me project management, operations. You can work anywhere because everybody has things that need kept on budget and on time. So I love that. Don't think that you're alone and only can do certain things for certain industries. I love that point about that skills transfer. And if you just are open and creative and have a good work ethic, you can land in any industry at any time. Two great insights on loneliness, Bill. Thank you so much for that. All right. On to weariness. Okay. And I mean, I can hear a little bit about this. Uncertainty creates weariness, but how do you combat weariness as a leader? Because we have to be at the top of our game, but it is top. How do you stay replenished and refreshed so you can stay in top,
1: fight and form? I've been blessed to have an astonishing life that has believed in me from day one. And mm-hmm. I'm almost, I don't want to correct, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. 32 years
0: oh wow that's unbelievable
1: and there have been times where i know that if i were her i would not have believed in the vision training for sports teams really you're gonna have to be a career of that i mean i heard that from a lot of people doing this new and i've gone into a new venture three or four years ago putting my training in a digital format and bringing it to sports teams when really no sports teams are doing any sort of digital training and they're very steeped in what's was and what they're comfortable sure. with and doing something new. And, you know, is this going to really work? And, and we've had to dip into her savings to, for the last couple of years to be able to do this dream of mine. I'm so blessed to have that sort of support for the, what she sees is the dream that I have, and not only the dream, I mean, it's different if you wanna help somebody get their dream, but for them to believe in the success that she knows is inevitable if I stay the course. And so she has done without, she has done what she needed to do to allow me to continue to work really, really hard at this with the few partners that I have. And so the weariness that I have is so much less of a burden knowing that I have that support behind me. And what a blessing it is.
0: Well, that is. And my mom was the same with my dad. And I'm new to the whole marriage thing. I just got married nine months ago. And he's already blessing me with supporting me in everything I do. And I'm like, man, life's so much better when you have somebody by your side to help shoulder the load. I get it. I get it. I mean, I've also seen it done wrong. I've had it done wrong. But when you get somebody that really sees what you don't even see in yourself,
1: that's unbelievable. I have been very weary the last few years. Yes. It has been a much harder road for me than I had expected. Okay. At this point in my career, I had really expected to have some things start to pay off. And what I've chosen is not one of those things you can easily sell off like a company with the assets and such or anything like that. It's been just kind of me. And this other smaller company, there's not enough assets there to really even think about that yet. So her belief in me and and being the rock that I've needed has allowed me to be okay with being weary because I know that the end is coming and and there's somebody that believes in the work I'm doing.
0: Well, I love that. And thank you for being transparent with that, Bill. I think people assume when you get to stages like us in life, oh, everything's just on autopilot and you're rolling in the dough. And I know my dad worked up until his very last breath on this earth, calling people, pushing books, booking people. And thank you for sharing that oftentimes we're in the wilderness as part of the journey, but that's okay too. We're not always in the land of plenty and manna and honey. Sometimes we're, we're just still wondering when it's all going to come together. And you got to keep the faith. And I, well, somebody said faith, friends, and family are what get you through it. So I'm thankful you have that. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're in a Okay, so loneliness, weariness. The next thing my dad talked about was abandonment. And I think sometimes, especially because you said you're a dog rescuer, we hear about abandonment or fear of abandonment. It kind of has a negative connotation. But my father talked about abandonment almost as a super hyper focus that we need to abandon what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. And I even was on a conversation with a lady earlier today, and she said she was with a really tough life coach and he told her what she needed to hear and it upset her, but she needed to hear it. So can you share with me, how do you stay with all the uncertainty that you deal with? And I know you're open to new things, but how do you maintain your focus and not mission drift? There's a time to change, but how do you stay on
1: point? If someone knows the secret to that, I would love to have someone tell me. There are several things that I love to do. It's very difficult for me to, to, But I love designing stuff like this, okay? This is just a one sheet. I just picked that up because I just happened to have it right here. But I like doing some things with PowerPoint and Canva and some of the other things that allow for a visual appealing sort of thing. I'm not the best at it. And I know somebody could do this thing three times faster with probably more expertise and more artistic ability than I do. But when I get this done, I say, Man, look at this. This is shot, and it's—I know it's ego-driven. I know it should be delegated to somebody else. I've been told that dozens of times. In radio, I actually had my staff keep me out of the broadcast studio because, as sales manager, I would want to go in and hey, we just sold this commercial. Come on, I know exactly how this should be read, and I wanted to read it, and they said no, you can't. In fact, when we upgraded our broadcast system they did purposely did not teach me how to use it. So I couldn't go in and do the broadcast myself. I think any leader has to be able to, A, identify those things that get in the way of their success. I've heard it said, I wish I could do the attribution, right, Tracy? So whoever came up with this, uh, forgive me. It's delegate everything but genius. Yeah. Beautiful. And to be able to recognize that which you don't have genius in and to have the guts to delegate it, Maybe. I think it is the mark of a, an exceptional leader. And I would struggle with that every <laughs> single day.
0: I do too. Cause I'm like you, I like, I'm an operations person. I am I would get offered administrative support throughout my career. No, thanks. I can do it all. You know, I can do my on podcasts. Like I know I'm, my formulas on my Mac, but I shouldn't. I should be doing other things. So I'm
1: glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, I'm not the only one. And when I do recognize it and I focus on that, which I know will generate the most benefit from that time. Yes. I recognize it instantly thinking, man, why didn't I think of this in the first place? And so it's a lesson I continually learn, but it's one that I know your father would have appreciated hearing too, that we all struggle with it.
0: Oh, and he had, I mean, he had so many different hobbies. And I think when you're an entrepreneur, you're naturally curious and so, and you got these, this extra abundance gifting of creativity. So you're always like, well, well, I mean, when I got my PhD, it wasn't the coursework I was worried about coursework, work. I could go to course, I could take courses until the day I die, but it was landing on the one single thing that I was going to study because I, every time I'd read another paper, I'm like, crap, I should be studying this. I should be studying this. So it was really taught me stay on point. The rest of it that, that, that just don't listen to but I love that. I got to find out that delegate everything but genius. But how do you, you know, we're all, a lot of us entrepreneurs, a lot of solopreneurs. Isn't it tough though, Bill, about, you know, because we all work 20 hour days, whether we should or not, but until you actually have the resources to be able to offload to somebody and delegate to, hey, I'd love to have somebody answer on my email, but right now that's not financially viable. So how do you get to that point where you say, hey, it's a hobby doing these cool little papers versus, hey, I'm getting burdened, something's gotta give.
1: There's a couple of things that I have found to be very, very helpful Mm -hmm. in being able to do that. One being a limited resource entrepreneur. And one like you that that has the desire to know lots of things. Yes. Is that once you know there is some sort of deadline you have or a limit to the amount of time you have to limit the input that you have of new things. Okay. And I find that most helpful within my inbox with email. Okay. I subscribe to like everything. It is FOMO times three for me when I'm trying to see what's new out there. What's Okay, else tell
0: do? our listeners what FOMO is because I just heard that half an hour ago and it made me laugh. I'll tell them what it is. Fear of missing out. Right. FOMA, and we all got that. Well, what about this? What's this speaker doing? What's this podcaster doing? Tracy, this guy will host this. What? I just signed with this guy. Wait, should I sign? I'm sorry, go on, go on. But this is how
1: it is. All day long, entrepreneurs especially are cursed with this need to know everything that's happening. And the real challenge with all of us is to shut off some of those screams that are coming from your inbox long enough for you to complete the genius that you've already started. Now, I would also say that in that same breath, there have been emails I've opened up that I'm saying, wow, that's a really good idea. I'm glad I opened that. And then I go in this different direction. And so I look at every email with that potential. And yet there is such a limit factor to that, that your brain can only hold so much. And I do think it holds you back from achieving that genius that, would only come out if you focus long enough to get it done. So I don't have a solution. But I would say the one thing I have seen more than anything else is that I'll go through waves of subscribing and then a wave of unsubscribing. And I find that the most productive (laughs) times I've had in my career have been at the times where I have had a much less of a stream of email that's come in and more of these ideas that are just clouding my brain from what I know I should be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you been able to strip down a lot of noise during the pandemic?
1: Have well, you, been you would able think that would be a great thing, right? That you would see all kinds of... No, it's been worse because I've had all this time that I haven't been at a sports team. I'm thinking, oh, I should subscribe to this. Oh, I should subscribe to this. Because none of us have the answer. Everyone's... I'm trying to see from, from a larger panel of people who might have the answer? Right. So I'm probably my own worst enemy when it comes to this. And maybe others that your listeners are now can relate to this, but I've broadened my spectrum of exposure during this time because I had the ability to. Mm-hmm. And now that I have things that must be done, what I'm finding is that I now must cull that down. Cull it down. Right. Prune it down. Mm-hmm. And only, you know, I got to prune it to the points where it's only the, Stuff that I have to be able to do. Will I miss out on a couple of things? But if I don't get the other stuff done, there's far more damage that can be done. And so I have to keep my focus on that.
0: Beautifully said. I love it. I'm going to get a I suffer from FOMA shirt for you and me. (laughs) And everybody, I mean, no. But most people on this podcast say to, and about 90% of people I interview are ADHD somewhere on the spectrum because we're just like frenetic at times and it's just how our brains are wired. So, but When we dial it in, we really dial it in. So for our leaders out there that are listening and they're like, ugh, they're overwhelmed, you can get there. And when you continue to dial in your purpose and your singularity, and right now you're kind of in that position because you're trying to figure out where to go next. Once you lock that in and you can direct all your resources towards that, it's off to the tracks you go.
1: So excellent. There are some good tools that you can use too. SaneBox, S-A-N-E-V-O-X is one of those that allows you to park some emails and not have to deal with them right away and allows you to only filter the stuff that's truly important from the stuff that's not.
0: Well, you said park it. And Laura, I interviewed Laura D. Benedetto yesterday, really a brilliant marketer. And she said that. She's like, her mind must be allowed to roam free and create. But she dwells on it and then she puts it in a parking lot. She has a folder where she just lets her mind pursue it because that's the fun for us. I like to think about, what if I did study this? What if I went back and got a PhD in astronomy? What if I learned how to play the piano? Well, just let me think about it for a while because you deny me the joy in that. And then she says she'll do it for half an hour. She'll put it in a parking lot. 99% of the time, she'll never touch it again. But she just lets it work itself out of her system. And I thought that was, when you said park, that reminded me of that Sane box. I like it. Maybe we should come up with insane box because we, just, <laughs> we keep grabbing the keys and saying no 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 I'm going to drive it okay so okay abandonment the last one is vision you know where there's no vision the people perish and I know we sit here and say like hey we're works in progress but obviously Bill you have been incredibly successful because you do have vision and my dad talked about vision as nothing more than seeing what needs to be done and doing it so what is your definition of vision and how do you get vision clarity and prevent vision blockage?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I don't have the whole answer, but I have a part of it. And I think it's to pursue that which you have a strong knowledge of and can perhaps, because of that knowledge, take it a little deeper, wider than others may have. And not that you are going to reinvent something that's astonishing, but you'll do it just slightly better than others because of where you've been. And I'll give you an example of that. As the pandemic started to set in in March and April, we as speakers and trainers became unemployed. Mm-hmm. And essentially for a time, unemployable because no one was doing anything. We had conferences that were booked months, years in advance. All that revenue went away. I wasn't part of that. And so I began to think, okay, everybody else is going to this whole virtual studio thing. Well, I looked and I was studying because I was in that phase, ramping up, studying stuff, all of the things that were happening within the organizations that I'm a part of, the National Speakers Association, some of the other people that are involved in this industry, and I saw guys like Dan Thurman and some others building gyms in their homes to be able to do the things that Dan Thurman does on his stages, which is balance on things, and, and he, he does, he's an incredible gymnast-style guy who does speeches. Well, Dan was doing the stuff at home now, on cameras, you know, like four different cameras all set up, and I thought, "Holy crap, I can't be Dan Thurman, but what can I do?" And so, some of my broadcast background and some of the other things that I've done as a speaker and a, and a trainer all came together, and I thought, "Okay, so what's out there?" And so, Tracy, I'm gonna since we're doing some visuals, I'm gonna turn you a little bit. I'm gonna give you a peek behind the curtain here. Uh huh. This is my studio. Wow. And this is the stuff. This is. This is not high, high tech, but this, okay. I don't know if you can see this, but this is an ATEM mini controller okay. that houses the ability to go through four different cameras. And I have one over here that's that, that camera. I've got another one that's attached here to my desk. I have this screen behind me, which you mentioned, we talked about it beforehand right up here that I had this. So I have the ability to shift cameras and to do this. I could be MSNBC in my own office right here. Man. Wow. But it took me more than 50 hours to figure out how. And in fact, what was funny was I said I got all the tools, I can do all this stuff, but I have to know the technical part. And so, right. I unboxed the A10 mini, I looked at stuff, I wrong cables, any kind of wrong cable that you can buy, I now have in a drawer. And so I now can say that I'm an expert at this A10 mini and I've actually created a course, a four-part course on somebody who's starting out with an A10 Mini. So from all of this, you talk about the vision. I really wanted to be an expert at doing things like virtual MC work for virtual conferences so that I would be the guy that says, hey, this is great and introduce him to that. And and I would love to be doing more of that. And I've gotten some more traction now from people that are looking for that work, which is great. But the vision that I had was I'm gonna be the best at this part of what I do. And so I think the vision is knowing you have the ability, but you have to push yourself just a little bit further than you know right now and take the time to do it. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah. And I love that you talked about your vision is going to, I think the overarching thing is to be the best at whatever you do and to provide value, but that's going to take a lot of different forms as the context, as industries change, all different things. So. I love how you said that. It's so pragmatic. And I think people get really tied up in, well, I'm not really a visionary. Well, do you, do you see what needs to be done and do you do it? Do you just get stuff done and you work really hard and, and make yourself a subject matter expert at it? Yeah. Well, then, then you are quite visionary. And I think people sell them so short. We think it's like a Steve Jobs or an Oprah or something kind of Mark Zuckerberg that, you know, but it's just seeing and keep working. So I love that definition of vision. Okay. So Bill, what else? Leadership-wise, you've unpacked a lot of stuff for us. What else do you want to share with our leaders? Tell me about this 800-pound gorilla thing I see over there, because well, we've all used that term millions time. Tell me about that.
1: The interesting part was when I started my company 15 years ago, transitioning out of radio and into doing this work with sports, all great ideas start in the shower. I am convinced. <laughs> of
0: That's a good book title. <laughs> it really is. You can write your memoirs. Yeah, I love it.
1: And so I began thinking, all right, I want to help people become like the dominant players in the market, whatever they do, whether I help people in radio or in marketing or in park district or wherever I do, I want to be able to help them be that. And so I thought thinking, you know, who's the dominant guy? So 800 pound gorilla thing came into my mind. And I thinking, gosh, that's kind of a euphemism. Well, and did the homework on it. Come to find out that was a business turn from the 50s. It, actually- it is,
0: right. We used- I've heard it many times throughout my industries I've been in.
1: And it's really to describe two different things. The most common is it's this problem in the room that no one wants to address. And then where it really came from was in the fifties, when media was set out to describe IBM or General Motors, or right. companies that were very, very difficult to compete with. Right.
0: They had the, the lion's share of the market.
1: Yep. And so I thought, Oh, that's it. So I ran out of the shower dripped everywhere. But had to get a piece of paper so I could write this. And so, Literally, my company was developed. The definition is the dominant player in any marketplace whose tactics and techniques result in an unfair share of the available business. And so I set out to become that person who would help others become the dominant player in whatever it is that they did. And I just spent way more time developing that in the sports world than anywhere else. I love it. I love That's it. That's where it is.
0: I think you should change the word unfair because that is a negative commentation to tremendous share a tremendous share (laughs) because you don't want to get like sued by the government where they break up monopolies and stuff like that. Cause you're like, what is that? I forget that term. Anyhow. Yeah. Breaking up monopolies and stuff like that. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. And where can people hear about this, Bill? How do people get in touch with you?
1: Well, I'd love to have them reach out. If they'd like bill at the 800 pound they can reach me there. I also have a keynote that I developed from all of my work in sports that speaks to the voices that we are now hearing in our heads.
0: Oh, yeah. We talked about that in the intro. Can you share more about that?
1: With all of my work with sports sales reps, and these are typically very young people, mostly coming right out of school. There's kind of a sexiness to come to work for a sports team. You get to see your name and the logo next to your name on the business card. And there's just a feeling of euphoria with that that's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. And yet people come in thinking it's going to be a very easy job. Well, you're making 80 to 100 calls a day to people, and you might talk to a dozen people, and if you're lucky, you're going to sell one of them. If you were a Division One athlete or you were very successful in school, that sounds a whole lot like failure every single day. And what I found was there were certain types of folks who did really, really well at this, and others that I thought had great potential that just did not measure up. They fell short and just fell off early. And as my studies started about these folks, I discovered seven specific things that people heard inside their heads, those things that prevented them from becoming what they could truly be, whether it was sales or anything else. And so I created the seven voices in your head as a way to help people identify those voices that are holding them back. And it doesn't matter what you do. It could be sales. It could be marketing. It could be any. You could be a homemaker, whatever it is. That you do. Oh, sure. Right. But those seven voices to identify them and ways in which to help minimize their effect and to replace them with some other voices that help lift you up and, and create more positivity. Information on that can be found at wwwthe 7 voicescom the Some okay. examples of that. There's some videos on there and describes what it is in detail.
0: Excellent. Is there a book associated with that or it's all online course content Bill?
1: Online Purse content, working on the book. Good. I like hearing this. Publisher. i I
0: like books too. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much. I mean, it has just been an absolute pleasure having you on here. For our listeners, we will have all the call out, all the website, all the links and stuff in the show notes down below. So please make sure link in with Bill, connect with Bill, get and check out the seven voices, the 800 pound gorilla, and to our tremendous listeners, if you like what you hear, Please do us the honor of a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to. Like, share, and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Bill, thank you so much for all your great insights. This has been an absolute blast, my friend, and I have
1: learned so much. Tracy, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for being a part of this, and I hope that I've been able to help your listeners just a little bit.
0: I'm sure you have. And to our tremendous listeners, thanks so much for being a part of our tribe. We couldn't do it without you. Have a tremendous rest of the day.
1: Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more
0: about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.